it's Gilbert Gottfried. Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, your go-to podcast on old things mining. Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and today I am joined by Dan Overton of Engineering Analytics. Dan, how are you today? Good, Brian, thank you. Yeah, and uh, we're recording this during the pandemic, and hopefully that's not too disruptive to your personal and business life. Oh, oh no. Pandemic hasn't had much impact on business life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think in the first month or two there was some disruptions especially on the client side it depended where they were working some of the mines shut down almost completely for a little while until they got sorted out in Nevada they were not really shut down it was a an essential uh, business but in Latin America it depended which country you were in whether you were staying open or closing down. Yeah, we had some of that at the beginning as well. You know, yeah. We had some some mining companies, budget contract or cuts too. I mean, contracted work that got cut at the beginning, but it's recovered nicely. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education. Sure, I, uh, I grew up in Fort Morgan. Colorado. My parents were both school teachers. And uh, you know, I went to Colorado School of Mines right out of high school. Uh, essentially, was in the mineral engineering degree program and uh, did just three semesters at School of Mines and realized that the, the mineral engineering program was a new program for them at that time and uh, figured out somewhere along the line that it wasn't ABET accredited. Um, it was the closest thing they had to a civil degree at the time. And um, didn't really want to do 10 years of work experience to get my PE license after graduation. So I transferred to, to Colorado State to just get that degree in civil engineering. So first three semesters in School of Mines and then CSU with a bachelor's degree in uh, civil engineering. And then I went to work for Empire Labs in Fort Collins right after I graduated and um, just worked there for one year. Empire Labs eventually got bought by Terracon. Oh, okay, yeah. That's how yeah. Terracon got entry into Colorado was by <laughs> And then uh, I, uh, sort of a longer story, but ended up going to uh, UCLA to do a master's degree with Kulati, my advisor. That would so be a uh, master's yeah. degree from 86 to 88. So. Oh, okay, yeah. And in, in civil engineering, geotech. Yeah, that was quite the change from being a Colorado kid. Oh, yeah, it was a good a good adventure. Every yeah. young kid should have an adventure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
And then uh, what what happened after your master's? Um, so I, even while I was doing my master's, I, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have call it here. I'm to clear up mute if I can figure it out. Um, I don't know how to get the thing on mute. Anyway, after, while I was working on my master's, I was working for a company in uh, Southern California called Geosoils. We did a lot of uh, development kind of work. Um, so I worked for them while I was going to school as well. And I just stayed working for them after I graduated. So I've worked for them for several years in their office in, in the San Fernando Valley and up in Palmdale and out of Murrieta Hot Springs. And, um, my wife and I met when I was going to, to grad school. So we eventually got married and, and bought a house. In the Los Angeles area? Yes, yeah. yeah okay. So that was the that was the interesting journey. Uh, yeah. And then uh, so we got married in 1990, and then uh, 1994, the recession was pretty severe in Southern California, and it was a good time. The company was sort of downsizing, and it was a good time we were going to make a move to make a move. So we looked at trying to get out of the LA area. Um, and she's her family's from LA. She grew up in the LA basin. But anyway, we ended up coming back to Colorado, closer to closer to my family, and you know, yeah, sort of different different lifestyle. I had good connections back in Colorado, and uh, most of my family was here, so that's how we ended up back here. And then uh, went to work for Shepherd Miller, which is a, really a mining closure firm. Worked for Shepherd Miller '94 to I think 2002. And Shepard Miller sold to Tetra Tech in 2002. And yeah, then uh, yeah. in 2008, we, some of us rolled out and started up engineering analytics. Yeah. And uh, before our, our uh, interview here, we were talking about tailings and mine waste. And one of the guys you have on board is John Nelson, who's one of the founders of the tailings and mine waste or, or was the precursor for it really uh which was the uranium tailings yeah the mil, uranium mill tailing symposium that's how yeah. it started yes. yeah yeah so john was uh, one of the owners of shepherd miller and john was you know a professor at the university and really basically started up their geotech department um back in the early 70s and uh he got into mill tailings and expansive soils. Uh, he worked for uh, Water Waste and Land. It was a company in Fort Collins that had a lot of the professors working as advisors. Um, some of the guys at Water Waste and Land started up Shepherd Miller. So John was an owner of Shepherd Miller as well. So that's where John and I met. Even though I went to school at, at CSU when John was a prof at CSU when I was there, I never had John as a prof, so I didn't know him prior to working uh, at uh, Shepherd Miller. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, that's how John and I got started working together. So John and I have been working together since 1994. Uh, been quite quite a while. Yeah, yeah. So well, your your company doesn't do just tailings. You're pretty diversified, right? Yeah, for our size, we're pretty diversified, and that was an intentional decision. Mm -hmm. What uh, besides? 
mining and geological the geotechnical um mining stuff what are your other branches that you're involved with sure i i think you probably could big picture you you could call us an earth science design firm um and so we do you know earth science type of work uh across the variety of, of sectors when we were at you know, I was in Southern California, it was almost all land development, um, a lot of mass grading and you know, office building and stuff. But, you know, that's that's one market sector. So you ride that market sector up and down. And um, depends on your personality type. That could be quite exciting, riding the market up and down. Yeah. Um, and at Shepherd Miller, we were in one market sector. It was mining closure. And we got mm. to ride that market up and down. And that was mm. quite exciting as well, you know going up you couldn't hire fast enough if it's going down you couldn't shed people fast enough yeah um and so when we you know we got to tetratech and obviously tetratech's a real real diversified company and you don't see that up and down as a company you see it within some subgroups in the company yeah the company yeah. as a whole is it so if the mining group gets slow you know they just go work somewhere else for a while and they come back and you don't lose those resources um, so when we started engineering analytics we didn't we didn't want to be in one market sector and um, we didn't really know exactly what market sectors to be in, but we explained that we wanted to be in multiple market sectors. So it'd be like three phase power as they're yeah. cycling up and down. The net effect is that we got sort of constant supply of revenue. So we actually hired UCLA Business School um, through their executive MBA program. They take proposals for real world issues and and you pay them. It's not a, it's not a freebie. And, uh, and they did a great job. You know, it's one of their executive MBA, this is one of their executive MBA things is started by this company with the contacts we had and our technical capabilities, what market sector should we be in? And so they, they set us up and said, you should be in these, these market sectors because these market sectors don't cycle together. So mm. that's really how we got into this multiple market sector concept. And it has, from a business owner's point of view, it has really been really nice because it has been very stable. Our market sectors do cycle like crazy, but the net effect is the company doesn't see much change. Yeah, and unlike a internal combustion engine where you have pistons that don't fire all at the same time, they fire yeah. at different times. You you can actually have all of your sectors being up. Uh, I think it would be unusual for all of our sectors to be up. Oh, it interesting. Just, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really work like that either because they all cycle. They just we're just in, in sectors that that don't cycle together. Yeah, yeah. So, so all the sectors cycle in roughly an eight year period. Um, but, you know, but they're not, they're not synced with some lag and some lead, right? Yeah, but because they're all in uh, earth uh, sciences, your team can switch back and forth without too Yeah, much. so yeah, our, our guys will switch back and forth against the market sector. So our, our market sectors are mining, and most of that is mining, reclamation, and enclosure. And then uh, this, our second biggest market sector is industrial aerospace. And that is um, old industrial manufacturing sites. A lot of them are aerospace sites. They don't have to be. We have chemical manufacturing sites. We've worked on railroad sites, uh, you know, but old industrial sites. Mm. Uh, and, and that is surface, surface soil, deep soil, surface water, groundwater, contamination, and, and cleanup kind of stuff. Um, and then we have um, uh, infrastructure and development, which is pretty much infrastructure and development. We don't, we don't really do residential 
we know well we don't do residential work per se but we have we do some work on residential development on a, on a larger basis so for example we have a big project right now um, where they're trying to get ag water in um, into a pond that they want to use then for irrigating on the residential home so we well we're working on the pond and the, the slurry wall cutoff wall to isolate their their ag water from the groundwater and stuff and, you know we've done some other quote development work where did landslide stabilizations for the entrance road uh, to what would later become a housing development so we do some work on you know development but it's it's still earth science kind of work we don't really do the you know the foundations for the structures yeah yeah um and then um, we have what we call our water researches group but for us really it's raw water storage and delivery and it's mostly small dams and so it's a lot of dam rehabs or enlargements spillway modifications we do some new dams as well um, but we do a lot of a lot of dam work and uh, reaching and breach studies and inundation studies, things of that that sort. And then our last market sector is what we call power and energy. Um, it's a little bit of stuff lumped together. Um, so we have done some coal work, you know, coal could end up in mining, but if it's past mining, it's on the burn side, we put it over in power and energy. Um, nuclear is the same way. If it's mining uranium, we'd put it over in the mining side, but if it's post mining, it's operational, we'd put it over in power and energy. Um, so, um, we also do, uh, um, electrical, electrical work. We have some electrical engineering group. So we've been doing a lot of recharging stations and power and lighting for warehouses and grow shops, things of that sort over in this power and energy group. Um, our oil and gas sets over in power and energy as well. Um, and then in power and energy, we also have electrical substation and trans transmission line. Work. We don't do the electrical on that. We do the civil geotech structure yeah, yeah. on that. So we do the we do the grading, the foundation, yeah. the, you know, the, the actual um, substation towers and structures. But we don't actually do the electrical work in the substation. So that's our five market sectors. Yeah. Okay. And you you mentioned dams. It reminds me, we had a chance meeting a few years ago, and there was a, I think it was the Fourth of July. And there was a kids fishing derby and i just oh, yeah. heard, i just heard out the window hey brian and it was you and we were uh i think that was uh the ramona and we, we had a little cabin right behind the dam and you've got one kind of around the corner so it's just one of those small world kind of occasions yeah so, yeah. so that's our market sectors that's really how we market and go after business and we do set a, a business marketing plan for each market sector so that's mm. that's really how we drive and manage the, the company there's an administrative management chart as well because you don't work under one market sector so even if there's a market sector lead you as an employee don't necessarily work for him you work for the person who's probably your best mentor oh okay yeah you get pushed around to all the market yeah. sectors um so technical skills if we, if we had this three-sided uh matrix uh, you know, we have this management structure that's basically a, a who's your best mentor driven kind of thing. And we have the market sectors and we have the technical skills. Um, and so the technical skills are really what we call the design engineering group. That's the group that puts out plans and specs. It's a pretty diverse group. So we have a lot of civil civils with geotech degrees, um, 
you know, all our geotechs still do civil design as well. They don't just do civil. They're expected to do the geotech work and the civil side. Uh, yeah. you know, geologic engineers, engineering geologists, hydrogeologists. Uh, you know, we do the surface water hydrology, the hydraulics, the structural engineering. Um, it's, you know, it's a pretty broad group of, of engineers, but I still consider them all focused on earth science, um, except for maybe the sub, some of the civil engineering is, you know, it's traditional civil, but it's usually earth science related projects. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's sort of, that's sort of that group. Um, then we have what we call our process design group. So that's a lot of uh, pump and treat and water water treatment technology. Uh, we really have two big big groups of that. Uh, one is in Fort Collins where it's all mine discharge water treatment. Those are pretty traditional above ground water treatment plants or reverse osmosis plants. So we do have the chemical and mechanical engineers. We have the electrical engineers, the control process guys. Some of our civil designers will help with piping pumping, but the mechanical engineers can do piping pumping they also can work on the civil side piping pumping when we're doing pipelines um so that group's sort of in fort collins um, it, um the electrical engineers sort of set in there so we do have a couple few electrical engineers and electrical designers and the mm. transportation control yeah. guys the second part of that process design group is down in san diego and that really is the group that does more of the uh, industrial and uh, aerospace work um, that's a little different because that's traditionally all hydrogeology driven pump and treat groundwater. Um, and so we do a lot of pump and treat systems, PFAS, uh, Vados extraction, Vados zone extraction. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we have two groups of water treatment that, um, that really one surface treatment the other, but like the chemical process stuff is, is pretty similar. So they can cross over and help each other back and forth as well. Um, our next sort of technical group is just what we call environmental monitoring compliance. It's pretty much what it is. It's, it's generally just for uh, the mining projects or for this um, industrial projects, but it's that I meet my weekly, my monthly discharge requirements, you know, stuff I'm discharging out to the stream. Is it meeting the oh, yeah. water quality yeah. standards? You know, are we, are, are we meeting all of our release criteria? So we, we have guys that go out and do all the sampling and, you know, run the stuff through chemistry lab and, and whatnot. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't have a wet lab ourselves. We sub all of that. Then our last group is our construction materials testing group. So we have a, a construction materials testing lab in Fort Collins. We have a lab manager, and then we have field services manager in Fort Collins. We have a small lab and field services in New Mexico as well. Um, the, the bigger lab is in Fort Collins, but it's really just soils, concrete, and grout. So we don't do asphalt or yeah. anything else, like that. but we do a lot of a lot of tracks tests and um, samples. So I get tracks is busy most of the time. And, and yeah, um, flex wall permeometer too for the, the groundwater volume. So that's sort of our we, the management style. We are set up with sort of the, the triple, you know, three dimensional matrix. But really, the business part of it is driven. Um, by the market sectors and then the, the staff retention side is driven by this you know your administrative manager who's, who's your best mentor and then we have these sort of technical groups but you if you're in a technical group you have to be able to in our company work across two if not three of those market sectors yeah yeah that's that's really good uh, diversification but all kind of in the same uh 
cluster of, of uh, earth sciences. Yeah, with, I mean, we, that's what I said. We're, 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 we're an earth science consulting and design firm. That's the simplest yeah. way to say who we are. Yeah. yeah. So how many employees do you have about? Uh, I think there's like about 60, 62 on payroll. Yeah, that's a nice size. Very nice size. So you can know everybody. Well, yes. Yeah, you, you sort of know everybody. Not, But even at 62, it's hard to it's hard to keep up with everybody as much as you'd like. Sure, sure. So Dan, I've, I've been talking on this uh, program to lots of CEOs lately, and we've been talking about finance and things like that, but I want to talk about tailings. So this is my, uh, my favorite topic. And I know you've been involved in tailings. You and I both served on the organizing committee when, when the tailings and mine waste got back on track. And uh, you know, a lot of fascinating things about tailings. It's a it's a really interesting field to me. And I've I've always told geotechnical engineers if you want to have fun being a geotechnical engineer, tailings is where you want to go because it has almost every aspect, of, especially soil mechanics. Yeah. You know, every every class you'd have in college and grad school is in tailings. So what? Uh, your company does quite a bit of tailings work or, or is it mostly enclosure and reclamation? Um, we do tailings work, but it's mostly enclosure and reclamation. Yeah. Um, so most of the tailings stuff we get is on the, on the closure side. Uh, I mean, I, we've done some active design work, but you know, we're, um, we're at our size uh, and the pace of uh, new tailings projects for, for a little bit small to do a design on a large tailings impoundment for staffing and um you know we're quite honest there's very good firms that do the tailings design like Beazel, Golder, etc. Sure. Um, so we, we just seem to be better suited in the closure side and, um, for our staff numbers. Uh, we we can easily do a closure project. The large tailings design would really stress us for capacity. Um, so anyway and we just have more expertise in the closure. But we we have a lot of tailings comments that we work on in closure. Yeah. What what part of the world uh, do you work in tailings closures? What what places? Well, we're probably an oddity, and because still a majority of our work is in the continental United States. Yeah. Uh, on tailings closure, and you know we do have some expertise in uranium uh, tailings as well. There's not a lot of firms left that have uranium expertise, so we still get a lot of uranium kind of type of work as well. Um, but we do stuff in Central and South America, um, and we have a couple projects in Canada. Um, but that's sort of it, North South America, Canada. We don't, we don't get out of there very often. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, that's where where a lot of the mining is, so it's a good place to be. Yeah, we have several very, you know, um, Spanish fluent engineers. So they, yeah. they do more of the Central South America work than I do. Yeah, yeah. Are you seeing any trends in uh, tailings closure work? For example, um, our latest our GISTM uh, standard for, for tailings management, it talks a lot about risk analyses. And I was wondering if you're seeing more risk analyses uh, being used for closure design work? 
yeah it's the the new standards are really creating um heightened awareness of of closure and operations and getting adequate data and doing a more robust characterization and analysis um so yeah we're seeing it even a lot of our old legacy sites that have not operated in decades uh with the new standards uh you know we're going being asked to go back and review those most of the sites we have insufficient data to meet the current new standards so a lot of those sites were you know, on programs to go back and, and, and provide additional characterization of those sites um, and then they're doing what you're talking about well then let's start going through a risk analysis so you gotta go, you go through the whole the whole risk analysis scenario looking at the ways it could fail and just because it sat there for 30 years doesn't mean it doesn't have a potential to fail um, yeah a lot of them said they're a long time and fell later i mean we worked on the talachi tailings in palman open idaho that sat there for a long time inoperable and eventually failed uh you know due to some maintenance issues so um, there's a lot of ways these old impoundments could still fail so anyway going through the risk analysis and then doing the breach and inundation study for those as well to see downstream what your risks are and then you know looking at how to mitigate those risks so even yeah. in the old impoundments the new standards are having a huge impact i mean most of our old impoundments have inadequate data to perform the analysis to the level that the new standards require yeah i've always thought that the risk analysis wasn't utilized often enough and updated frequently as things changed it seems like it was more of an optional activity that yeah there's the cost to it and it, if if it's not required then you know do we really need to do it it's not it's not cheap is it is it really necessary you know can you just logically work your way through these things but i i think there really is a huge benefit to having a multidisciplinary group uh together around a big conference table and just work that through in a workshop and, and it can be really valuable and sometimes the contributors to the ultimate findings you know they they have some unexpected uh, insights that are shared that might not have come up otherwise. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is expensive, um, but it is really good, and it is quite interesting the conclusions when you, like you said, when you get this multidisciplinary group together. Um, it's very interesting to see the impacts of how everybody's technical point of view sort of comes together and, and things you know you're like whoa i didn't realize this could happen right uh so uh you know a lot of it's like sometimes you get the hydraulics hydrology people and they're like well in a large flow this channel is going to overflow and it's going to go out on the top of your impoundment and you know and how much storage do you have on the impoundment before you overtop the crest and those kind of things it's it's um it's tough to me as a geotechnical engineer i don't normally think about oh that channel's undersized uh a big storm you know I'm going to get overflow. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. Or the geologists come back and say, oh, well, there's new faults map. The seismicity is different than what it was assumed in the design. Right? You got to look at the new seismic levels. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. And then just the the geotech part of it, the whole new sort of emphasis on you know critical state soil mechanics, dilative, contractive material. Uh, peak, post-peak, post-seismic strength. Yes. Yeah. Um, very the level of detail that yeah, we weren't doing you know, five, 10 years ago. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, unfortunately, neither of us made it up to the Tailings and Mine Waste Conference. I'll have to maybe get Barather to uh, give me a... a... Oh, no, Chris Chris didn't make it either because his wife is expecting. Oh, okay. Well... I'll find I'll find somebody that was up Sean. There. I know Sean was. I talked with Sean with Kotech, and uh, he was. Up, he can give you a good debrief. Oh, okay, so, yeah. A lot yeah. of a lot of uh, you know, U.S. participants there. So. Yeah, it was a hybrid conference once again. I didn't uh, attend it even remotely this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, Hopefully next year when it's in Keystone, we'll both be there for that. Yeah, I, they, they, I heard they, there was some discussion about them moving it to Denver. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we, so I'm not sure the next the, in 2022 is in Keystone. It's in Colorado, but it may be in Denver. Yeah, we had some back and forths on that because if it's in Denver, then sometimes participants might get sucked into doing something at the office instead of yeah. at the conference so that might change things a little bit I, and i'm pretty sure even 2022 is going to have to still be hybrid the, the hybrid conference model will probably likely never go away um, you know there's some real benefits to it yes, people people far away can attend for very little cost compared to flights and hotels and all that kind of stuff so there's some real benefits, especially for oh. people that are really remote and on a restricted budget. Yeah, um, I'm, like you said, the restricted budget, um, you know, the conference still costs you about the same. Boy, all your travel, your time, your expenses, your hotel, your meals, your flight all go away. So it really is much more economical. Some people are just so busy on a site that they really can't get away, but they want to see, maybe they want to see the keynote speakers every day. They can do that remote, you know, and still keep their site running. Um, and you yeah. get speakers, particularly yeah. came to my ways. We've always had speakers from Europe, you know, from Africa that want to come, and, and it's always a problem for them, uh, you know, getting their their passport through and have to get a letter from the conference about why they're coming and whatnot. Um, for some of those remote speakers who are really looking for this kind of conference for their visibility. Uh, even remotely you could be the speaker i mean you know you could be the remote speaker the project you live at the live conference and right you know you're right. electronic for the remote people so yeah there's a i don't see it ever going away it's a, there's some things with covid that have really advanced our way of doing business and will probably never never go back for for sure and i think a lot of meetings in the future will just be zoom meetings rather than everybody showing up at site not not all yeah. of them but, Sometimes uh, you still have to see the site, but yeah, there's a lot of meetings you can just do. On yeah, you, you know, there's a lot of pre-bid meetings where I think the person that just calls in on Zoom is limiting his uh, chance of, of winning that bid if there's somebody else there that's physically in the chair next to your client. Yeah. But yeah, I think things like Zoom and all the other... Uh, versions of that certainly are going to play a bigger role and you know it, it helps in many ways you don't have your seat on an airplane so you're you're uh, you know contributing we're, we're all environmental engineering firms in, in the 
end of the day, right? So it feels good that you don't have such a big carbon footprint, even if it's a minor contribution. Yeah. Well, and even our office is now uh, 60% in person, 40% remote. I mean, some people are, are just remote all the time because they're on sites. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're in town in 6040, it started as an interim policy, uh, trying to get back from COVID and, and still having that interaction. And, you know, we work in a lot of uh, groups with multiple disciplines. So um, what we found is that uh, for a group that had done a lot of projects together, 100% remote works just fine. But when you bring in a new group to do a project that hasn't worked together, you don't know each other well enough and their skills and strengths and weeks and doing it remote is, is hard. And, it, and yeah. it's really hard to train a new person up uh, just working remotely. So, so anyway, we're at this 60, 60, 40 model, um, and, you know, it was rolled out as sort of an interim um, yeah. policy, but I, I quite honestly, my opinion is it it will never it will never go back to 100% in the office. What we find is people are happier working at home 40% of the time. Quite honestly, there's a lot of tasks. They do a lot more efficiently at home when they're not being interrupted um, by other coworkers than they, they do at the office. Some things you do better at the office uh, in a, with your coworkers help. Some things you do better independently you know, at home. So I, I, I don't yeah, think the hybrid model is going to go away for the artwork. Yeah, no, you're... You're absolutely right, because if if you want to carry your cup of coffee down to somebody's office and talk to them about a technical thing, you know, there's a real benefit to being there. But if you want to take your cup of coffee down and talk about the game last night and sit there for two hours, you, you just wasted four hours, right? Yeah, and if somebody says, oh, I need this report reviewed, boy, I'm, I'm a lot more efficient to be off-site to review yeah. the report than I am in the office. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that the 6040 can do for a business is you don't have to have a larger accommodation and you can grow about twice the size if you don't mind people sharing yeah. desks and offices. Yeah. You know, just, you know, if it's cubicles, then you can have any cubicle really. It might make it a little bit less personal if you can't have all of your stuff in your workplace but I, I think you can grow staff levels without growing the size of without your suite. As much space yeah 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 well then we've covered a lot of ground today and I know you're a busy guy I don't want to keep you much longer but do you have any uh, pearls of wisdom or any key takeaways that you could lay on us oh my my we didn't really talk about business stuff. I'll, I'll give you my biz, my biggest business threat for our industry. Okay. And that is our biggest threat is demographics. Mm. And uh, a large percentage of the geoprofessionals um, are baby, baby boomers. Yeah. And the baby boomers are retiring at a, an alarming rate. So let, let's say 40% of our profession is baby boomers and 10% yeah. of these are baby boomers are retiring a year. So we're, we're losing 4% a year of our, our workforce. Um, and we're going to lose 4% a year for the next 10 years. Um, each year, it doesn't sound so bad, but at the end of three years, I lost 12% of my workforce. And where do I find these replacements? Well, there's nobody in their 40s because in their 40s, 
nobody went into earth sciences. They all went into programming and other stuff. Um, So there's very, very tight supply for any engineers or assigned people in their forties. So, so we got to back up and get new hires. Well, how do I get new hires? How do I attract these new hires to replace these baby boomers that are, are leaving? All right. Well, I have to out compete the other opportunities these young people have. Mm. How do I out compete that? Well, it's it's uh, overall job satisfaction, so it's flexibility, benefits, you know, um, and it's also dollars. It's like I gotta I gotta pay the dollars to out compete them to versus their other options, and they have a lot of other options. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think what you're going to see is that as you see this squeeze of the, the demographics, the number of people in our profession, that there's going to be a huge demand for entry level people. And that demand is going to raise the rates, the salaries of those entry level people. And we're mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. that already that the salaries yeah. are, are really yeah. starting to escalate to get these entry level people. You can get excellent entry level people. Um, um, and, and those entry-level people are going to have opportunities at a rate far faster than I did when I was their age. Because when I was their age, there was a lot of guys in front of me. But there's not a lot of guys in front of these people. So they're right. going right. to they're going to opportunity a lot faster, and therefore their salaries are going to go up faster than ours did too. Um, yeah. But that's just what's <laughs> going to happen. So in order to, to outcompete other opportunities to young people, you're going to have to pay more, which means our rates are going to go up. Our rates are not going to be able to stay at going up at the cost of living or inflation index for the next 10 years. Yeah. You're going to have to go up more than that. Yeah. Um, so if inflation's two or 3% or unfortunately right now, 8%, um, you know, our rates might have to go up one or 2% higher than the rate of inflation in order us to general, generate money to start out competing, to get these people into this line of business. Yeah. Um, so we really got to look out at all, all the engineering firms. You got to have a management transition plan because we're really, really jammed for staff. Um, and you got to start working with those people in their 40s and training them to be your replacements as these baby boomers age outs. And these young people got to start training to take over those people in their, their 40s. So where somebody used to maybe be 25, 30 years old before they'd be the president of the company, people are going to be half that age. Yeah. <laughs> to be the president of the company because that's just what's going to happen. And the other thing we have to do is we have to mitigate as best we can to hold back as much of that capacity of these baby movers as we can. And it's going to have to be through some creative ways of doing it. Um, but surely these people want to retire. How can we get them to not fully retire, to stay engaged at some level to help with this workload and the training of these younger people? And so. It's going to have to be more creative than historically was. Uh, oh, you, you know, you're full time or you're not, or you. And I heard um, a friend of mine who's, you know, getting ready to retire, and he works for a, a um, programming company. He's a coder, mm-hmm. and the same problem. They have the same problem, and he said they're firm because they're struggling with the loss of these baby boomers. They can't get enough younger people in fast enough. They've recently just rolled out a new program that if you work. 15, no, 16 hours a week or more, you still get full benefits. Wow. <laughs> Just as an enticement to try wow. to keep the, this older workforce engaged. Yeah. Time, yeah. You can't afford to lose them. So to me, this is the real threat of, of our earth science business. It's a demographic problem with the retirement of the baby boomers and having no, having very, very few mid-level 
people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you do a bell curve of our of our people, it's a very it's not a bell curve; it's an inverted bell curve. Yeah, yeah, right. We have a, a lot of young people, big, nobody big in the middle, and a lot of really old guys. Yeah, this curve's rotating to the right, and the old guys are going to go off of the curve. So right. Like, how do you feel? Yeah. Right. It's yeah. a problem. It's a huge problem, and I think it's going to the next ten years. It's going to drive engineering rates very high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You're right about that. So I don't know. You said you've talked to other owners about their business things, and maybe you've covered this with someone more knowledgeable than I am. But to me, this is our biggest threat. The biggest threat is the sustainability of our capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've heard the same uh, opinions, especially about the engineers of record, because they can't be a five or ten year guy. They really need to be a fifteen or twenty year person before you can really consider them to be now qualified to be an engineer of record yeah well dan good stuff uh, i know you're a busy guy you told me all these uh, fields that you're in hopefully we'll see each other up the cabins one of these days yep we got uh we're we'll be up there the first part of december for a little bit Oh, okay. We're we're still remodeling our cabin, so we'll, we'll be up there some next year too. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. have a big we're gonna have a big barbecue on uh, the Saturday before Fourth of July. So you're invited. Oh, nice. Have a, have a big barbecue and throw some horseshoes, and then we'll um at sundown we'll walk up to the dam and see the fireworks. <laughs> yeah, we did that uh, this past Fourth of July, and it's always a really nice fireworks show there. Yeah, it's it's. It's beautiful up with the pine trees and the fireworks over the lake and the reflection yeah. of the fireworks in the water. It's just, it's really nice. Yeah. Well, Dan, thanks again for coming on and uh, hope to catch, catch up with you sometime soon. All right. Thank you, Brian. All right. Thanks, okay. Dan. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.